Our Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the uh, beauty of uh, nature around us. We thank you for uh, what you have provided for us in Messiah. Lord, in every way, we see your bounty and we see that you have uh, been so gracious to us, that you have treated us so richly. And Lord, as objects of your grace, we can do nothing but stand in awe of what a good God you are and how much you do love us. Father, we ask that as we examine your word, that we treat it with the uh, respect and the honor that it so deserves, Father, and that we would uh, honor it the most by applying it to our hearts and to our lives, and that we might walk in obedience before you uh, as your humble servants. We thank you this morning for your word. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. I will just read, uh, this is not a fast day, Uh, Shabbat is rarely a fast day. I don't know if you knew that, but, but if, if an example would be Yom Kippur, if Yom Kippur falls on a Shabbat, you actually fast. Why would you not fast on Shabbat otherwise? Anybody know why you want not, would not fast on Shabbat? Is it a celebration of being there? Very good, yeah. Shabbat is, 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 is we, we see in the prophets especially that we're supposed to delight ourselves in the Sabbath. And so, something that would be difficult or something that would be hard uh, would, in fact, something you'd have to think twice about. Fasting is difficult. And uh, we're, that's what we're doing today is Lesson 10. This is uh, the 8th of November, 2008. And we're, uh, we're looking at the word sum, which is fast. And it's a verb. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this. It's probably not a very comfortable subject. You know, if you fast or if you have fasted, you know that it's, it's not something you really look forward to. <laughs> you know, we get we get certain benefits out of a lot of the things that God asks us to do, but this is one that you just kind of have to say, well, you know, okay, I did it, but what did I get out of it? And hopefully we'll have something when we get done today we can talk about. Uh, this is actually from uh, the, sh- the, the morning prayers for the weekday. So you'd not find this actual, this prayer would not be found in the Shabbat prayers, except found within the... Uh, the Yom Kippur prayers that you might possibly pray on Shabbat if it falls on Shabbat. So this is only found during the weekdays. And the instructions in the art scroll says, on a fast day, the leader of prayer, the chazan, uh, recites the, uh, the answer us part and, and at this point, and then everybody else joins in. So, uh, answer us, Lord, answer us. On this day of our fast, for we are in great distress, do not pay attention to our wickedness, nor hide your face from us, and do not ignore our supplications. Please be near to our outcry. Please let your kindness comfort us. Before we call to you, answer us. As it is said, and it will be that they will call, that they call that before they call, I will answer. While they yet speak, I will hear. For you, Lord, are the one who responds in time of distress, who redeems and rescues in every time of distress and woe. Blessed are you, Lord, who responds in time of distress. Interesting that the, that the, the connection to fasting, this fast, a fast day, is a time of distress. So it gives us kind of an insight into the purpose and the way that, the way that we're supposed to fast. It makes it, like I said, doesn't sound very fun. This is uh, from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 or 7 on your outline. Is, it, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? 
and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and do not hide your hide yourself from your own flesh? And that's Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 7. That sounds like, well, I can do that fast. That sounds better. I don't have to deny myself. I can just do all these nice things to other people. Well, we're going to look at that. Uh, in the last lesson, we looked at pray. Pray is connected to fasting a lot of times in Scripture. And we're going we're gonna to think about that. But uh, last week, what we looked at with regard to pray was that prayer and praying served as a petition. In other words, you have a need. You ask God for it. It also served as praise. And we talked in length about the fact that praise or worship, using prayer as praise or worship, the thanking of God for what He's done, the recognition of who He is, is in fact the dominant view of prayer in the Scriptures. And then also we saw it as repentance. And from that we probably uh, we can probably see uh, as repentance it tied to fasting. And we're going to see as we look that it is in fact related in that way. A lot of these words are connected. We saw uh, worship uh, several weeks ago connected to praying as well with regard to fast. So, no, no, that's fine. What about for power? Uh, praying for power. Uh, in, in terms of spiritual power. Too. Right, right. I, actually, I would, I would put that probably, in the, I mean, this is not meant to be all-inclusive, but I would probably put that under the petition. Uh, that it's not power for our own sake or, or it's for something else. For something for along in accordance with his will. Yeah. Um, Tzum is Tzadi Vav Mem, uh, Mem Sofit, uh, a final Mem, which is, looks a little bit different. Um, or it's Tzom. Uh, if, you look at, if you look at the prayer that I just read out of the Art Scroll Sidur for the weekly prayers, uh, fast there is Tzom. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a uh, uh, Vav Cholam. It has a dot on top of the Vav instead of next to it, a shru- like a Shruk. Uh, so it's Tzom. In that case, but uh, if you look it up in a Bible dictionary, it'll come out as tzum. A tzadi, uh, it's a righteous person, or it's a righteous thing. A vav is usually something that's connected to something else. Uh, it's actually the, it's a pent peg. A pent peg. A tent peg. <laughs> it's like a nail. Uh, it says the, it says the, uh, the tabernacle, the tabernacle uh, um, walls or the, or the, uh, or the, and the curtains were fastened and it was with vavs. Uh, when you look at a when you look at a Torah scroll, the first uh, the the top of every column has a vav. How does that work? Well, they just make sure that it has a vav. You just line it up. There's enough vavs in the Hebrew language you can do this. Why is that? Because when you roll out a when you roll out a Torah scroll, if you know what looks, one looks like with the columns, uh, you see curtains. They're they're the the curtains of the tabernacle. It's the uh, it's the vav at the top that hangs it. So it's a nail, something that fastens. And then a mem, a mem has very many different pictographic uh, meanings. Something that's overflowing, something that's ongoing. Blood. Anyway, from that, uh, there's this concept. By the way, the tzadi, if you look at it, that kind of looks like in the Assyrian script, the block script looks kind of like a little man kneeling, doesn't it? And, and it's that concept of, of being still or waiting. A righteous man waits on the Lord. Uh, so it's that wait and be secure, fastened in the midst of a flood. It's just one way of looking at it. Some way to help you remember it anyway. Sadi vav mem. Fasting tells you to wait. It's a waiting process. And you'll be secure in the midst of what doesn't look like it should be secure. In the context of Isaiah 40.31, it says... That's right, yeah. Um, 
doesn't have that have a sense of... Shall renew their strength, yeah. Adhering, not that have that sense of adhering. Being fastened, actually, in that sense, it's the, it's, that, is, that is the idea of, a, of being woven. In other words, that weight is a, is a woven. In other words, you're woven together with, woven together with him. Weight on the Lord is it's not just like, okay, I'll just sit around and not do anything. It's in fact, it's a, it's a knitting together with him. It's a, it's a uh, merging of wills where your will is subservient to his. Uh, so in this case, that would fit very perfectly, I think, with fasting. Um, not, no show of hands. I just, just think about the question. Um, have you had a fast before? A true fast? Not to, dimi- not to diminish what some people call a Daniel fast, but have you had a true fast where you don't eat any, anything or drink anything for at least sundown to sundown? Have you ever done that? Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to acknowledge. Just think about it. Think, have you ever done that? Okay. Was it, was, it something at the, was it something different at the end than it was at the beginning? Did it get easier or harder as time went on? Okay. How about going more than one day? Anybody's gone more than one day, especially with not drinking water as well. Does it get easier or harder at the end? It's a remarkable thing, actually, physiological. I can't explain it, but it seems as time goes on, it gets easier. It's the weirdest thing. It's like the first, first morning you miss get breakfast. It's like, whoa, man, this is bad. <laughs> but as time goes on, it seems to get easier. Not that you have more strength. You get weaker. There's no question you get weaker. Yes? Is a fast going without water, too? I can't hardly see how you could go without water. Well, obviously, you can't go without water for very long. That's true. Uh, but, in fact, uh, we, we do see that a fast, a full fast, is the absence of food and water. Yeah. Uh, can we say a 40-day fast is the absence of food and water? No. Yeah. It's physiologically impossible. That's not to say that Yeshua didn't do it in his 40-day fast, but I, I, would not have cons- I would not consider that to be a totally unusual fast. Uh, and there was a supernatural fast, so I would say that he was probably with water. That's just a guess. I don't know, but that's what I would guess. Sure, sure. And so, but at forty, and that's what, and that's exactly why I say that. Uh, is that difficult? Yeah, it's very difficult to go forty days without food. Minister to him. That's right. Yeah. So he needed. Yeah, he obviously needed something. Yeah. Uh, go to Joshua chapter 20. This is the first u- usage of the word sum or tsom. I know. What's wrong with that? Uh, 18 through 35? Uh-oh. Did I give you the wrong reference? Joshua 20. Is that right? It's not the right that passage. Somebody have their workbook? It's in the workbook, correct? Judges. Judges. There we go. I said Joshua. Okay, your outline is wrong. Scratch that out and write Judges. Judges 20. Thank you very much. All those, you know, J's right together. It just confuses me. Judges 20, 18 through 35. Which says, Then the children of Israel rose, arose and went up to the house of God. Well, let me set the stage here first. There's this awful, awful... If you, if, if you ever want to read some really horrific stuff, read the book of Judges. There's this awful thing that takes place first. And basically, the tribe of Benjamin is just really, just, you know, just really gone over the edge and really, really done some disgusting things. And so all of Israel now is going, wow, this is no good. We need to take Benjamin's task over this. And they go up against Benjamin to punish Benjamin. 
or, or to rectify or to avenge. And so this is where the story starts in verse 20. And the men of Israel went up to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah on that day, cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. So 22,000 uh, of the other 11 tribes were in fact uh, were, were in fact killed or at least uh, injured by the tribe of Benjamin coming out of their city of Gibeah. Then the, verse 22, and the people, that is, the men of Israel encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line in the place where they had put themselves in the array on the first day. Well, we'll try it again. Two times in a row can't be bad. Exactly the same battle array. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until e- excuse me, did that right? Yeah. The children of the Lord of, of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, and asked the counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. How do you say that? Say what? Okay, to attack him, but I mean how did he, how did the Lord tell them that? Huh? Very good. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah, the the Urim and the Thummim. That's right, the Thummim. The high priest, the breastplate of the high priest. That's exactly right. Good. Boy, we we got some Torah scholars coming here now. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Wow. 22, now 18. 40,000. That's a pretty bad day. Two days of battle. Uh, uh, Gettysburg, uh, 1863. Something in the neighborhood of 55, 57,000 casualties. So we're talking epic battle here. Now, long time ago, big, a lot of people died, or at least were injured. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, now they did what God told them to do. Would you agree? Went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And uh, Pinchas, or Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? So they're asking him the same thing. Let's hear what he says. And the Lord said, Go up. For tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Now, last, the day before he said, go up. Now he's saying, this will be it. I'll, I'll deliver them into your hand, right? Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at the other times. On the third day, by the way, is always a key phrase in the Bible. Uh, so the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people, as at the other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highway. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel, Israel's men in ambush burst forth from the, their position on the plain of Geba and 
10,000 select men from all Israel came against uh, Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated the Benjamites before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. There's like, I can't remember, there's several hundred or less than a hundred, something like that, left is all. In other words, they wipe them out. All of the Benjamite soldiers are essentially wiped out, or virtually all of them. So what was different between the two, uh, between the two things? Go to verse 26. The first time they went and asked the Lord, he says, go up. Second time they go up, he says, go up, I'll deliver them into your hand. What was different in their, in their petition? Uh, both times they asked the Lord, right? Uh, verse 26 says, uh, is it verse 26? Yeah. yeah the house, they wept. They sat before the Lord. Fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings, peace offerings before the Lord. So that was really a lot of faith because if you were going to go fight, you wouldn't think you'd be. Fasted. That's exact. Very good. Very good. Excellent. So they fasted, knowing that they needed to preserve their strength. In fact, they waited before the Lord. They didn't just go, "Hey, give us an answer." They actually sat down and waited. You know, until until we would assume Pinchas from this verse. It sounds like Pinchas himself, Phineas himself, actually goes before the Lord and is is given the answer. Go up. And in fact, now you will be uh, victorious over them. Uh, they wept and they fasted. The real big differences here are they fasted and they offered offerings. And and that's a very interesting thing. All of the all of the offerings uh, uh, are eaten except uh, several. Uh, and in this one, a a korban olah or olot, those burnt offerings were never eaten. They were all they were all consumed completely on the altar. But the offer says they offer they offer olah or olot plural and uh, uh, and and the shelamim and the shelamim are peace offerings those are eaten so it's, it's interesting very interesting that they actually are breaking their fast by making the offering whoever's off at least whoever offered the offering whether they all joined in I don't know I would assume that it's possible that at least a great number of them since they're waiting there before the Lord actually participated in the eating of that peace offering so there's this connection is there a connection between fasting and the shalami peace offerings in fact there is uh, and there's because there is this uh, concept of of not eating or eating. Eating is that fellowship dinner with God. Basically, the peace offering was that, you know, if you want to get down to the, what does it represent? It represents a fellowship dinner with God. In fact, Paul makes that connection with Yeshua. He is our peace. And he means he's our peace offering. He's our, he's our shalamim. He's our peace offering. What is peace offering usually? I mean, is it herbs or is it... No, no. Peace offering is, 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 uh, is, a, is an animal. Yeah, I, like a, like a, I think it's a bull. I have to look again. Yeah, I could be wrong with that. You mentioned the numbers of uh, soldiers that died. You know, this is, who, who kept count? Yeah, really. Yeah, it's like okay, and it's always an even number. What's up with that? Well, it's not actually when you look at it. What's not? It's not an even number when it counts to Benjamites. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, one thing we do know is that throughout throughout the history of mankind, uh, a a body count has been important for a measurement of defeat or victory. Uh, every battle you ever fight, fought in history, you can, you can get a count. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it's to somehow prove the success or failure of it. Yeah. Yeah. But the tribes still lost 40,000 but the Benjamites, that's one tribe, so it's pretty small. When you look at the total number of, of uh, what's over 100,000 going up in battle, that's pretty... 
I tell you what, in the ancient in the ancient Near East, hundred thousand in battle is a massive army. That is almost unparalleled. We're talking. This is a really important thing, wouldn't you think, that they're doing here? And and uh, at least they think it's important. What what's the outcome? The outcome is, uh, of course, Benjamin is 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 humbled, brought back into the fold, as it were. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting that it, it was fasting and offering of offerings that was the difference between the two days or between the three days of defeat. Two days of defeat and one of victory. Uh, pardon me? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's fine. Yes. If you want to look at it that way, I would I would compare it to Passover. Yes, Passover is in fact if you look at the Passover lamb, the Passover offering as it's described several places in the Torah, and you compare it to the instructions of the of the peace offering, the Shalamim from the book of Leviticus, they are very very close. It's not to say the Passover lamb is a peace offering, but it's very close. If you look at the descriptions of how they have to be prepared and whether they're eaten and whatever, they're very close. And in fact, the sages would say that the Passover lamb is a type of peace offering. And yeah, and that and that would be correct. Then you'd say, well, that's very that's very similar. With since Yeshua is our Passover lamb, so yes, that's the connection. That's and, and that's the, that's the connection that Paul makes by calling him our peace offering. Now, what were you going to say, George? I was just going to since you're talking. First Corinthians eleven. First Corinthians five. Oh, okay, five. Seven. Talks about cleaning out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. But it says, for Christ, our Passover. That's right. And, that's, and, and, and Paul is making a direct connection to Passover. That, that Yeshua, in, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and also in the Passover Lamb, makes this, that, he, that those are representative of him. Does that answer your question? Was that what you requested? Okay. Thank you. Um, anyway, waiting and fasting is a sign of helplessness, is it not? I mean, look, like you said, they're going up and they're saying, should we go up again? I mean, they're not even preparing to go up again, are they? After all, they're abstaining from eating. Right, so obviously they're not worried about having their strength or whatever else. So they're, they're really going in hopelessness. Just, this is no hope. This is, this is why in this art scroll, Sador, this, this prayer about fasting, it, it's, it's called a time of distress. It's called a time of distress. It is. It is. So is Yom Kippur a time of distress? Why? Why is Yom Kippur a time of distress? Consider it in all the it, 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 consider it as the last of the days of awe, the days of fear, where in fact you stand where where it's inaugurated by 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 Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets, the day of blowing, where it says that you have ten days, a calling ten days for repentance. Ten days until you stand before the judge of the world. So why is Yom Kippur a day of awe or a day of fear? Why would it be a day of fasting? Why would it be a day of distress? Because when the priest goes in there, doesn't he, if, if he wasn't pure, doesn't he, he, he has those ropes tied to his feet? And if he doesn't quite make it in there, they have to pull him up. Well, I, whether that ever happened or not, we, we, we can't tell. But certainly he was, at, since he only went in there once a year, certainly there was this, possibility of death, right? Uh, well, let me ask you this. Let me, let, me, let me put it to you today. Why would it be considered a day of 
distress for you today. By the way, it is for me. That's right. Well, am I under judgment? What, what hope do I have? I have no hope except by the grace of God. And that's the whole point. That's why Yom Kippur is something that all believers should participate in because it is a recognition that apart from what has been done from us, we have no hope. It's a day of great distress. We've done all we can do and we still fall short. I mean, for ten days we've considered, who else have I wronged? Right? For ten days I've considered... How, how much of a, of a disappointment I, might, I must be to the righteous king. Our prayers reflect, reflect the fact that we go before him and recognize he's the righteous king and whatever he decides is right. And then when it comes to that day, we go, I fall short. And he's right. What hope do I have? There's that sense of hopelessness. It is a day of great, a day of great distress. What's the end of the fast like? Take it back to that. Take it back to that tabernacle in the first and second temple, and the and the high priest comes out alive. <laughs> but more importantly, as tradition teaches us, that the the crimson uh, the crimson thread of the crimson rope turns white. Are the people happy? Oh yes. In fact, you can read historically. This is like this is great celebration. Fast is, is going to be over. That's true. But what are they celebrating? The judge has heard our cry, and through no merit of our own, he has forgiven us. And in fact, he will remain in his tabernacle or in his temple for the next year, there for us to come and worship before him. So it's a, it's a remarkable. So the fast is a time of distress. But when the fast is over, there's joy. And the fast is a time of distress because it comes with a sense of hopelessness. If you fast, it should be because you sense there is no other hope except the one who hears our prayers. That's the purpose. Go to the next one, 1 Samuel. I'm, not, I'm getting way behind again. Go to 1 Samuel, and I think this is the right, chapter, right uh, passage. 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 12. And let's look at some let's look at some uh, connections between this and the first usage. And I'll start in verse one and verse and read through verse twelve. Then the men of uh, Kirath Yerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abin, uh, Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained at Kirath Yerim and a long, a long time. It was there twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, Am I in the right place? Okay. If you, if you return to the Lord with all your heart, with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and Ashtoreths and from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord. Then serve and serve Him only, and He will del- and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, "Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you." So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord as a uh, water offering uh, or a libation. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and then the children of Israel heard of it, and they were afraid of the Philistines. If you go out and keep reading, they're defeated. The Philistines are defeated. So they're fasting again in the midst of... A, in the midst of 
an overwhelming force. In other words, they're, they're actually unprotected. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll fast. That's, is that hopelessness? What is it a hopelessness of? Here we see that for 20 years, basically, they, well, further longer than that, but for 20 years we see about this ark being here in this, in, in, uh, uh, in this home or with Eliezer. And uh, the children of Israel are basically chasing after other gods. And Samuel comes and says, well, if you'll, if you'll stop, you know, perhaps God will hear. So they, they come up to Mizpah and they offer uh, a libation offering and they fast. There, it's, it's a sign of repentance, right? But it's a sign of repentance in that same picture. We have no hope except if you'll forgive us. There's no hope except that you'll forgive us. Go to Nehemiah chapter 1. See, and I, I, I think, I think, I think it's not. I think it's. I think they're connected. I think both of them are founded upon helplessness. Not saying, you know, uh, tell me something, as opposed to, are you with us or not? But if you're seeking guidance, you're hopeless. Sure, sure. Wanting to do the right thing, wanting to do his thing. That's that merging of wills we talked about. Nehemiah chapter one verse three. First, <laughs> uh, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, Make sure I'm in the right place here. <laughs> Actually, uh, Nehemiah 1, 3 through 9. And they said to me, the survivors that were left... Is that right? Yeah. The survivors that, who were left from the captivity... Uh, Nehemiah is, 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 in, uh, is in Persia, and uh, um, they've sent some back to Israel, or to the land of Israel, after the Babylonian captivity. And Nehemiah, has, uh, in service of the king, is still remaining in, in, uh, in, in Persia. Uh, and he said that the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And, and here we see this connection between fasting and praying. Then I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, uh, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptedly against you. We have not kept your commandments, the statutes, nor your ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. It's a part of repentance, but it's also a reminder of God's covenant promises. And he's actually, he's reminding God that God promised in Deuteronomy that he would take them out of the land if they, when they sinned, but that he would gather them back in the end. And so he's reminding him of that. But you'd think he'd say, well, I, you know, I did my part, I'm reminding you of that. You know? I mean, after all, God's going to keep his word, so I'll just remind him of it. But instead, what he does is he takes ownership for sin that is not necessarily his. 
We see Daniel do the same thing in chapter 9 of Daniel. At the end of the 70 years captivity, which is actually just a few, you know, probably a few decades previous to this account in Nehemiah, he's actually seeing the same thing. He's saying, well, it's been 70 years. You said it'd be 70 years. I read in Jeremiah it was going to be 70 years and we've been gone 70 years. Well, are you going to send them back? Are you going to send us back? And he, and, he, and he pleads with God on the basis of what God has already promised. And yet he still takes ownership for the sin of his people. He says, we, 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 we've sinned against you. And when, You guys remember in Kol Nidre, in, in that Yom Kippur service, we, we, we actually say those things. We have acted wantonly. We have sinned against you. In fact, it goes through a whole litany of sins that you may have never done or even thought of doing. And we take ownership because it's we. We are a community. We are a community of God. And because of that, we, we all participate in each other's sins. It's a frightening thing. You bring sin into this place. You're sharing it. So it's a frightening thing when we start thinking about the fact that our sin becomes a collective sin. And a collective sin is something that we also, personally, must repent from. And uh, it's a remarkable thing that it's always, almost always connected with fasting when it comes to this, this corporate repentance. Uh, go to uh, Matthew chapter... Actually, go to Leviticus chapter 16. This is Yom Kippur. <clears throat> People ask, well, you know, you know, it's all fine and well that, uh, that you all fast for Yom Kippur. I appreciate that, but you know, it's never told, we're never told to fast. We're never commanded to fast. And I would, I would agree that, although literally, technically, we are never commanded to fast, that a fast is, in fact, biblical. And, in fact, this is uh, this Ananapesh, uh, the flip your soul is no question it's a fast. It just doesn't use this word soon. Uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 29, it says, This shall be a statue forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, that's Yom Kippur, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your country or a stranger who dwells among you. A stranger who dwells among you is Ger Toshav, or it is a, a person who's not Jewish, a person who's not an Israelite. Uh, so anybody that is, at, is attached to the God of Israel should be considering this as a valid command that we would afflict our soul. What is it to afflict your soul? Go back to Isaiah 58, 6 or 7 I had up there. What, what is it? It's not to you your own pleasure, if you continue this passage, not to you your own pleasure. It's to, in fact, submit yourself to God's will. Uh, it's, to, it's to keep from sustaining and, establish, and establishing your own will. Sustaining yourself. Now, Matthew chapter 6, uh, actually Matthew chapter 4 uh, verse 11, 1 through 11, we're not going to read it. This is Yeshua's 40-day fast. Anybody who says fasting is not for us. Now, Protestants have a difficulty with fasting, and I understand that because it's a reaction to, 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 the, to the Roman church in previous years. And it's, they've never really been taught fasting as a necessary and, 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 and viable part of their faith. And, and, and Although Protestants do fast, it's still not something that's taught on a, a lot, whereas some of the older, uh, you know, like Greek Orthodox and Catholics, in fact, fast all the time. Judaism fasting is, is definitely a part of it. Uh, and the reason why is because, well, you know, it just sounds too much like something I do. Not, some, not something that, you know, it's like works. I could trust in my fasting instead of in God. Well, that's true about anything. Trust in your own trusting, then. <laughs> Just because it could be misused, we keep saying this, just because it could be misused does not negate its, valid, its validity. And we see here in the apostolic scriptures, Yeshua fasted. This is the one thing I'm always going to keep coming back to and you're going to hear me always say this. 
If you have been given a perfect example, and you are a disciple of that perfect one, then you have no right to stand and say, it was good for him, but I shouldn't do it. If he fasted, we should, we should fast. Yes? I've always said that fasting is, is one of the things that uh, you know, our, our flesh, our, our human body, That's right. screams yep. all these passions and food is one of them. Mm-hmm. And when you suppress that and ignore that, then you, you hear you know, the, the spirit. I, I think that's true. And, and, and that goes back to what I was remarking is, if you've ever, by the way, if you've ever gone a long, long time, many, many days without food, you, well, I'm not going to tell you, but if you've gone a lot of days without food, more than one, at the end of one, I tell you, it gets easier. It's harder. That first meal you miss is hardest. And it's, it's like you could skip a breakfast on your own. It'd be no problem, at least for me. I can skip breakfast. No big deal. But the minute I say that I'm fasting... I'm hungry for breakfast. <laughs> that's what Paul says. You know, it's like when 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 the law came, sin was ignited. It's like the minute I say no, my body says yes. So in that, you're right. So what happens is over time we keep saying no, 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 all throughout the day or however many days. After there's a point, there is a real point where although you're getting weaker, it's really easy to say no, and it's because you're it's because you've exercised the no. But more importantly, I think there is a spiritual quality. On the plus side, there's more of the yes to God being said. Is that yeah, what were you going to say? Well, uh, fasting is actually healthy. So. Uh, I mean, we could debate that. But even if it's not healthy, it's still good. <laughs> well, my body does it. My body says, no way is that good for you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that goes back to that same thing. It's that sense of helplessness. I can't do anything about this. One of the things I do want to caution you about, and it comes back to what Lewis's point was, that it's healthy. Uh, you, you shouldn't be fasting for any reason, other reason, other than I'm helpless. There's no hope. Uh, you say, well, I can fast. I can lose some weight while I'm doing that. <laughs> that's not a fast. Yes. Um, people have health issues. Yes, ma'am. Is it legitimate to get something else? And, and in fact, Judaism recognizes that fasting is a dangerous thing to do. And because of that, it should be done, first of all, with wisdom. And wisdom includes, and that's why women, women who, are, who have children or are nursing or are pregnant are always excluded from a fast. Even Yom Kippur. Look, children are excluded from fasting Yom Kippur. Um, and I know that's traditional, but that's certainly, uh, you know, I mean, God doesn't want us to kill ourselves to humble us. And I think that that's, that's what, what modern times people call a Daniel fast, and I think that's marvelous. And, and in fact, uh, a denying of yourself, because that's what it says. And I think that's why Leviticus 16 uses that term of, of afflict your souls, is because even those who are weak can say, well, I won't, you know, do something that I want or eat something that I want. Um, so even though you may have to eat for, you know, for health reasons, at least you can say, but for today, I won't eat this. Yeah. Daniel did that. We know Daniel did that. Yes? Is it true in the scriptures that the only place it's recorded where they actually didn't eat food or drink water was Esther? Yes. That's true. Yeah. That was a three-day fast. The fast of Esther. Yeah. yeah. Uh, solemn assembly is a, su- is a separate issue. Yeah, not necessarily fasting. Yes. But is it all about food? You 
you know, whether you wanted to call it a fast or not, whether you want to call it a fast or not, I don't know. But one thing you could do is you could say that it certainly has a similar benefit to you. Right? It has a similar benefit to you. Yeah. I th- absolutely. I th- absolutely think it's legitimate. Yeah. Um, that, I, I kind of put all that out there and I want to pull back now. When it comes to Yom Kippur, except for health reasons, my own personal feeling is no food, no water. That's my own feeling. But and I, that's one of those ones where I just I can't step across the line and say just well just make it something you want. Yeah, to hold back from, but except for except for health reasons. Yeah, that's that's just my opinion. But even the Book of Jonah, the fans, That's right. No food and what was it? And, that, and what was it? And the answer, and it was because they they knew that the righteous king was going to judge them, and there's no hope for them except that he would be merciful in some way, right? I mean, it's really, a, it's really a. You know, there's a difference between. Sometimes I get the feeling, and I know that, and, and I know that none of us really think this way. But sometimes the things that we say with regard to the perfect atonement that we have received in Messiah. But sometimes we get a little arrogant about it. Well, I don't have to do such and such because I'm forgiven. You know, and, and, it's, and it doesn't recognize not only the great penalty that was paid, but the, the great debt that we owe God and still owe Him. Even though the debt has been satisfied, we are not off the hook for recognizing how deep in debt we were to Him. And that without Him, there is no hope. Except for His mercy, we would not have a hope. And so it goes back to the same idea. And so when we look at Nineveh, that's what they're saying. There's no hope for us. By the way, Yeshua gives cautions about fasting. And in Matthew chapter 6, it says, don't fast like the hypocrites. Who's the hypocrite? Don't say Pharisee. Who's the hypocrite? (laughs) Who's the hypocrite? Anybody that does one thing and says one, thank you very much, says one thing and does another. Anybody. Guess what? That's everybody. But people who fast for the purpose of making a show. Well, I'm fasting. Let me tell you something. He wasn't talking about Yom Kippur when he said this. Because in the first century, everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in Galilee, everybody throughout the land was fasting on Yom Kippur. So he wasn't saying, hey, listen, when you fast, make sure that you, know, you bathe and you look nice and no one knows you're fasting. Everybody's fasting. It's okay. And in fact, you shouldn't bathe. And you shouldn't shave. And you shouldn't brush your teeth. Okay, well, that's tough. But The point is here, he's talking about the fast that people were doing weekly. The Pharisees, the Pharisees as a rule, were fasting on certain days. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, every Monday and every Wednesday we fast. Okay. You know, from sun, sun up, or from sun, sundown to sunup. Or from sundown. Fasting for somebody is appropriate. For somebody in the sense of what, maybe to repent or to be well, you're still fasting. Well, like fasting for your kids if they're sick. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. It's the same thing. You know, I'm helpless. What do I do? You're still asking God. You know, you're saying, what? You know, what can I do? Uh, Isaiah 58. We're gonna we're gonna close with this. Isaiah 58, one through twelve. This is actually the whole passage that we that we started the lesson with. Isaiah 58, one through twelve, because it kind of outlines the whole picture. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression. This is like this is like you know, it's like uh, Rosh Hashanah, right? Blow the trumpet. Tell the people my transgression, the house of Jacob, their sins. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As a nation, they did that did righteousness and not and not 
and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. It's like people that are just, oh, they're wonderful. Everything's wonderful. We worship. We love God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Listen to what they say. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Sure looks like a fast, you might say. Isn't that a fast? God's saying the fast isn't just what you do. It, origi it originates from your heart. So it's expressed in what you do. They had all the look of a fast. They were long of face, sackcloth and ashes. And what were they doing in the meantime? Stealing from their own workers. I'm going to fast today. You keep working. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't pay you today. It's a fast day. But I'm still fasting. Right? It's this idea that they were asking from God for mercy, but unwilling to give mercy themselves. It looked like a fast. You know, sure felt like a fast to them. But in the end, it was only so that they could gain. Not so that God's uh, purposes were to be expressed in them. And then verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wicked, wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break your, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. The difference. Maybe they're still fasting. What's the difference? It's not fasting with an evil intent. So it does matter. It's not just the fasting. You see, the Pharisees and the, and the, and the hypocrites, shouldn't I say Pharisees, the hypocrites were fasting. Right? Don't do it like that. So actually, it's not, just, it's not just doing it, but it's why you do it. Right? We've seen that with all the things you do. It could be misused, right? Righteous fasting is this. It's bowing down. It's afflicting the soul. It is sackcloth and ashes to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo burdens, free oppressed, break yokes, share bread, clothe, care for your own family. Then your light breaks forth like the dawn, and healing and righteousness you will call and he will answer. Well, remember, his fasting does prepare our heart for humble prayer. Uh, that's why it's so well connected to prayer. That it prepares our heart. It sets the stage for repentance and that sense of utter helplessness. That's its value for us personally. You're going to get God's attention? See, that's the wicked fast. You fast because you think you'll get God's attention. You fast because you think that you'll show yourself to be somehow worthy of His answer. That is a fast of the wicked. The fast of the righteous is understanding you are not worthy to receive an answer. That you have no hope except that he acts mercifully towards you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, clear instruction with regard to uh, righteous fasting. Father, we ask that you might uh, remind us again and again how 
how utterly hopeless we are without you. And Father, how, how helpless, how without strength, how weak we are. We know that fasting can help us remember those things. And we ask, Father, that you would uh, prepare our hearts uh, to uh, observe your fast, Father, and also to uh, remember uh, that it is, it is about uh, repentance and about submitting ourselves to you. May our days uh, of every day of every year uh, be filled with, our, with hearts and attitudes of a fasting person. May we always come before you humbly, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.